0: Um, (laughs) It's good to see you all. One day we will do that giving declaration like we mean it. Uh, And like the things we speak actually create things. Um, But for now, let's just keep saying it anyway. Faith comes by hearing. If we hear ourselves say it enough, it will kick in. Anyway, brilliant. Um, I am um, part of the team that's helping to get Headstrong going along with some other guys I think the thing that may put some people off is the feeling like, well, what do I know about a gym? But that's okay. You don't have to know about a gym. All of us feel inferior next to Herb's when it comes to gyms, right? (laughs) um, My thighs are about the size of his arms, you know. Um, But that's okay because we don't really plan on, the rest of the team don't really plan on really helping people with that bit of it. It's so much of the bit around it. So we would just love some people who are prepared to commit to coming along, come, helping us get the thing set up. Uh, we would love that. I think, in fact, we've got a meeting. Yes, get in touch with Herbs. So we've got a meeting Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, and we, we just want people to come. Yeah. Um, at the moment, it hangs on the edge. We've said to God, if we don't get more people, then we'll just have to leave it for now. We'll have to see what you're saying because we, maybe we've missed something. We don't feel like we have, um, but we, we just need some people. Anyway. Uh, We are starting a brand new series, it will come up on the screen, entitled Heaven's Hope. Um, I assume you've all got your Bibles with you, right? Uh, (laughs) Start with a bit of sarcasm, why not? If you haven't got a Bible, but you have a phone, you can go to BibleGateway.com, or we do actually, um, it's now also a paper edition. Um, is available outside and we can get one of those to you as well. If you just want to like head over that way, someone will, uh, someone will hand you one. But what we're doing for the next uh, about eight, nine weeks, something like that, I think, is um, basically we are looking at the book of Colossians, which is a book in the New Testament, in the Bible. We'll come on to a little bit more about that in just a minute. But just um, what happens is we are doing this as like a Bible study. We're actually going to go through literally verse by verse. What we often do here is we often talk around a theme, for example, life coaching. That, that went on for and has a number of weeks, went on for many, many weeks. And then we use the Bible to support and strengthen what we're saying. Um, but what we're doing this time is we're doing it the other way around and, and it's mix and match, bit of both, whatever. So this is we are literally working through the book of Colossians. It's a letter, actually. Um, we'll see about that in a minute. And literally verse by verse. There is not a verse missed out. That means that we tackle the tricky verses too. The bits that you go, uh, What does that mean? Or, "Well, hang on a minute, that feels like that contradicts that bit. And we're doing that together. But this is one thing. If you also have a notepad, I would love you to write this down, and I will say it twice to help you because this is so crucial. You don't have to necessarily write this first bit, but the purpose of all Bible study is not to fill our heads with information, but lead our hearts into revelation. Okay, Get that down. It's not to fill our heads with information. That's not why we study and look and pore over what God reveals of himself through it. So it's not to fill our heads with information, but lead our hearts into revelation. Because the difference is, anyone can find out information. Information used to be power, it's not anymore. We can find out anything we want, just whip the phone out of our pocket. We can find out any information. Don't even have to do that, you just say, hey Siri, or whatever. But revelation, when it comes, is when God shows something And yes, sometimes that can be knowledge, but it comes with the power to affect the change. And actually, we study the Bible because we want change. As we often say, we're not into behaviour modification, but heart transformation. That's what we're into. That's what we're interested in. So the questions we always ask whenever we study the Bible, whenever we take time there's different ways. You can just read bits. You can have a daily devotion kind of thing where you, it might give you a, um, a chapter to read or a few verses to read. Sometimes you can just find a really easy to read translation and just sit and read it. You, know, you just think, oh, I'm going to read um, you know, half of the book of John this morning, or I'm going to dip back into the Old Testament, into Chronicles, and find out about all these wayward kings and all that kind of thing. But when we are studying what we're asking God to do, specifically is reveal himself through what we're reading. That is the aim. Because God's word is powerful in changing lives. Okay, God's word, that means he's the written word, yes, the Bible, but also God's word as in we sometimes will be called the now word, like there's a logos word and a rhema word, and very often the two can combine. But basically, God's Word has the power to change lives. And that's why we study. So, this is the first thing you do whenever we're studying the Bible. Not reading so much, doesn't matter so much. But when we're studying, context is always your first port of call. You cannot take a a, um, something that you don't understand the context for, and then make a rule of it. Christians have been doing it for years. We read a bit, we take that verse, we like that verse, it suits our theology, so we crack on with that verse, but we haven't understood, we haven't even bothered reading the two verses around it, much less the chapter, much less that really useful bit that you get in like physical, proper paper Bibles, where it tells you who's the author of this book. Who were they writing to? Why are they writing? Roughly when was it written? What's the purpose of it? What's the main aim of the, the main themes, the main aims? So we're going to dip straight in with this. We're not going to do this every week, um, but um, I have the, <laughs> the pleasure of starting this series off. So we have this. So the book of Colossians, which we're going to come on to in a minute, was written to a church in Colossae. Colossae, either one. It's in modern-day Turkey. You can see um, my fabulous red arrow. I've moved on from my white sketched people last week. I've moved on to inserting red arrows. Um, and you can see roughly where it is. Now, if you go... Um, f- sorry for those people listening on podcast. Um, yeah, can't help you. Anyway, it's in Turkey. That's all I can, that's all I can really tell you. Um, and if you go west of there, out to the coast, almost directly west, you get to Ephesus, and Ephesus plays a part in this. So Colossae was first mentioned in about 1700 BC. It was destroyed in an earthquake in 60 AD during the reign of Nero. And then there are various reports of how long it lasted after that. It kind of fell into a bit of dis, um, disrepair. Uh, many people moved a few miles away to a place called Honaz. Um, but the last mention really you can find of it is 1100. And if you look at that picture at the top, you'll see I wouldn't use the word thriving. For how it now is. But that is it. Paul wrote a letter to where that bunch of stones now stands. So, Colossians, the book in the Bible, you find it in the New Testament, in the section of all the aeons. And this was Paul writing this letter. There are some people who argue over whether it was Paul, but it's like one of those 90% of people, 95% of um, scholars who are way more learned than I am. Most people think it it was Paul. Um, You know, some people scrap over it, but anyway. The church wasn't started by Paul, it was actually started by a guy called Epaphras. At least that's what we call him. Um, And he actually did discover Jesus and end up saying yes to Jesus under Paul's. Ministry. So Paul went to Ephesians and Epaphras was there. He was so convicted, so compelled, his life was changed, and he ended up going to Colossae and basically planting a church. That's effectively what he did. The theme of the book comes from, and this is really important to remember this all the way through. Why is Paul writing? Because essentially what had happened is Epaphras, who was effectively leading this church, was having to deal with a load of heresies that the people were starting to believe. And heresies are things that basically are simply not true of what God says. And so Epaphras went to see Paul in Rome, somehow in prison. I'm not quite sure how he got to see him, but there was a connection made there. And Epaphras told Paul... All about the church in Colossae. Now the chances are, Paul already knew probably about the church. But as far as we know, he'd never visited because later on in the book he says, one day I long to be able to visit. And so he listens to Epaphras and he listens about all the good stuff. And he listens about some of the difficulties they're facing. And Paul thinks... I can help out here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to write a letter to the church at Colossae which can be read out to them and I can help to counteract some of this weird stuff they're believing about the supremacy of angels and all kinds of other stuff which we'll we'll come on to in future weeks. So the church would have been pretty much entirely Gentile. That's non-Jew. In the world at the time there were two groups of people. There were Jews. There were non-Jews. They are called Gentiles. So It wouldn't have been an audience that really knew anything about God, Yahweh. It wouldn't even have really been an audience that knew anything about Jesus. Until Paul had been there, Epaphras then took over leading the church. Interestingly, Philemon was also part of that same church. Just throw that out, they can have that for free. Um, Okay, so here we go, we're actually going to start it. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And who also told us of your love in the spirit. Now... We're going to go through this literally a verse at a time because there is so much here that if you're not careful, you just miss a word. You miss a moment. You miss something God is trying to say. And it's so, it's so easily done by all of us. I remember after recently when we'd said, um, as a group of pastors, we said, to, them, okay, let's, let's work through a book. Let's go through Colossians. And even as I realized this was my section, I read it through once and just went, whoa, this is going to be a short talk. Wow, God, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to just give me more. But one of the things you do when you're studying the Bible is establish the context and then slow down enough to notice. So if you really are going to like study, study, don't pick whole swathes of it. You'll get too bogged down. I mean, we've got eight verses. I won't be. I could talk for three hours on this. It's incredible the depth of what is in here. Okay, but you establish the context slow down enough to notice. You really all should be writing that down. Just because I'm feeling kind, I'll say it one more time. Establish the context, slow down enough to notice. That's what you do when you study. So here we are. First one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So this is Paul's title. He's effectively establishing his authority. Don't forget many of the people in Colossae, may not have particularly heard about Paul. They didn't really know who he was. I'm sure Epaphras talked about him as like a founding father or, I don't know, whatever language worked at the time. But Paul is saying, I am an apostle. Now, an apostle is a sent one. So to some extent, everyone who has said yes to Jesus is a sent one because Jesus said go. But in this context, at least, hasn't got a capital... It's just saying, look, I'm a sent one by Christ Jesus. I thought his name was Jesus Christ. No, his name's Jesus. His office is Christ. Christ means the anointed one. That's the supernaturally empowered one. It means the anointed one and his anointing. That's what Christ means. So Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, whatever. Sometimes just Christ. So Paul saying, I'm an apostle of the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, Jesus by the will of God. Why am, I an, why am I an apostle? Because God's chosen that I should be one. So if you don't like it, take it up with him. It's not my fault. That's basically what Paul is saying nicely. looks by the will of God. And then he tags on and Timothy, our brother. Because Paul and Timothy spent a lot of time together. Timothy didn't actually write any of this. But often you will have seen if I send an email out to... You guys, I will very often sign it, C, brackets, and N, close brackets, kiss, something like that. In other words, I'm kind of including Nick in it, even though Nick hasn't written it, but it comes from us both. Do you get what I mean? So it's from Paul. Who's it to? God's holy people in Colossae. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you. God's holy people? Holy doesn't mean this. Holy means set apart. He's basically writing to the church, been set apart, to God's church in Colossae. Now, I love what he does here. Because please remember that the main reason for him writing is to effectively, nicely tell them off. You're believing a load of old claptrap. What is the matter with you? Jesus is your all-sufficiency. Get a grip, you lot, is effectively why he's even bothered putting pen to paper. He'd probably use an amanuensis. But anyway, effectively why he's got this letter written. But I love that what he does, instead of starting with, what are you doing? You muppets. Is Jesus not enough for you? It doesn't start that way. And this is such a lesson for us to learn. Instead, what he does is he describes them as faithful. Why? Because that's who God has made them to be. So he calls out their divine identity because he recognises that's who God has made you to be. So that's the element that I'm going to call out right now. When did we last do that? When we had something tricky to say to someone. That the first thing we did was rather than correct them, rather than be miffed with them, we call out their divine identity. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, you've got all the eons, all all letters 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, um, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, uh, and Galatians. All of them, every single one, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Every single one, Paul starts like that because he knows, like we were just saying about our declaration, he knows the power of words. So grace is what we get from God that we don't deserve. So grace is like a supernatural empowering. People often think of being grace as, grace as being a let off. No, that's mercy. Not getting what we do deserve is mercy. Getting what we don't deserve from God, that's grace. I'd write that one down as well, because every time you read the New Testament, and come across grace, if you understand it that way, you're at least off to a better footing. Interestingly, I would say mercy does also come under grace. Don't go there. It's too complicated. Peace. Does it mean peace, like quiet, that kind of thing? It basically means an absence of striving. An assurance, actually, the root word means completeness, wholeness, prosperity, fullness. So Paul is saying the supernatural empowering of God to you and all his completeness. Oh, say it again. Say it again. That's what you want to hear, right? That's what an amazing thing to say to someone, like when you mean it. Grace and peace to you. But actually, for me, the highlight in verse 2 is this. I continue to marvel at the moment how God set relationships up to be family because He didn't need to. So, what God did was think what's the best structure, the best model I can use? I'm going to make mankind. What's the best model I can use for how we interrelate? I know I'm dad. These are my kids. They're brothers and sisters. And I'm going to send Jesus, who's going to become effectively one of the brothers and sisters living as a man, as in as a human. So, what he does here, Paul says to God's holy people, the faithful brothers and sisters, he says, We're family. And peace to you from God Almighty. No, from God, Dad. Brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from Dad. We're family. We're in this together. In a minute, I'm going to have to say some things to you that are pretty tough. But right now, we're family. What a great way to start. I think, anyway. Um... It might land for you a bit later. You can cheer on the way home or something. Uh, So verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith. There is God the Father. Again, we always thank God the Father. We're always thanking him when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Jesus And of the love that you have for all God's people. How wonderful that as we speak of the things that God is doing, it causes other people to connect with God and give thanks. Think about that. So God's doing stuff in your life. Who was the last person you were shouting that information to? When do we do that? Because it causes a reaction in people that very often will lead to praise. Just thanking God, connecting with him. I personally think that what God does in our life isn't necessarily our property. What if God is doing things in our lives, yes, for the good of us, but for the good of others too? So what has gone on in Colossi? has come to Paul, and Paul's response is, oh, we thank God every time we think of you. He hasn't even started yet on, I know you're believing a load of real weird nutjob stuff. He's just saying, oh, we've heard of your faithfulness. We've heard how you love one another. And it's so powerful that it makes me say thank you. I could learn a lesson or two from this. I can see 100% of something, and the problem's only 10%. And my mind goes to work on how can we fix that 10% and I miss the 90. Maybe you're like me, maybe you're more holy and you are better at that. So, one moment, changing slides. I don't need to for you, but I will anyway, watch this. It's exactly the same, Um, but it it isn't for me. So it says... um, When we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. And then he says, The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. What? Now, I read this in about seven translations, thinking, God, you're going to have to help me out here. This just sounds like a load of words to me at the moment. I found this, which really helps. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people both of which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. So this is where we talk about the kingdom, and the kingdom is now and happening now. God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, his way of doing things, his plan A, his nothing missing, nothing brokenness. That is happening now, but it also is yet to come. I mean, with respect, I love the stuff that God does, but if this is it, it's a letdown. Right? There's way more to come. Someone said about there's pie in the sky when you die, but there is some steak on your plate while you wait. Right? It's terribly cheesy. It's not mine. Quote someone else. Put a non if you're going to write it. And it's true. There is, there is the kingdom breaking in now. God is saying, look, I'm, I've given you the power to go and do something about it. Go and do something about it. But... The bottom line ultimately is one day we will leave here as humans, effectively, and we will go to be with him. And that ultimately is our hope. We have more hope now, but we also have that as an ultimate hope. And he's saying to them, I can tell that you have such a belief In the goodness of God. And one day the strife, the anguish, the pain will all be over. And I can see that that's the hope you have that's pulling you forward. That's what says, try it again, devil. You can't threaten me with heaven. I mean, let's face it, most of us don't particularly want to die. It's not like an aim, it's not a plan. But ultimately, you can't be threatened with heaven. Death has been defeated. So what he does here is wonderful. If you go to verse 6, it says, In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Now, remember, no Twitter, no Insta, no Facebook, no news feed that constantly is being renewed. No phones in your pockets, no newspapers. We're, We're thousands of years before the printing press, even. So the only way you hear about anything is a, a, a bloke on a donkey type thing. You know, It's this word of mouth. And so what Paul is doing brilliantly here, he is saying to them, listen, I know you feel like you're in Colossae. It was probably maybe 25,000-ish people, something like that in Colossae at the time. That wasn't massive. It soon got overtaken by Laodicea, which was a nearby neighbour and whatever. Anyway, the point is, he's saying, listen, you're not on your own. You're not in a silo. It's not you with a little fence around you. This stuff that's going on with you, the, the way it's growing within you, the way it's changing lives within you, did you know it's happening in other places too? Isn't this amazing? It's not just happening with you. It's happening over there. It's happening over there. It's happening over there. In fact, throughout the whole world, known world, throughout the whole known world, this is what's happening. It's like a it's, It just keeps bearing fruit and bearing fruit and bearing fruit. How many times does the enemy try to get us feeling isolated and like we're on our own? It's just us. It's so useful. When I was a teacher, and particularly then when I became a deputy, I would sometimes go round to other schools and go and see other schools. It was brilliant because you thought that within your school, you you were tackling most things the best way you could. And then you go to another school and see another way. Go, wow. I love the way they do behaviour management in classrooms. I love the way they do litter at break times. I don't know, it doesn't matter what it is. And what Paul is doing here is say, don't get isolated. I'm telling you, this stuff is kicking off everywhere, guys. Obviously, returning the favour of as Paul has heard about them and given thanks to God. Hopefully, as they read this, said We didn't know it was kicking off everywhere. Oh, God, we love you. Thank you so much. Oh, God the Father, you are incredible. Thank you for what you're doing, etc. Verse 7. He says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Fellow servant. So Paul describes himself at the top as an apostle. There have been a number of people over the years who've given that a capital A for themselves. God has told me I'm an apostle. And then they normally wreak havoc. But what Paul does is there is such a tension here. Yes, I'm an apostle. He knows absolutely he was called by God to be an apostle. And then only a few verses later, he says, I'm just a servant. I'm just a servant. And you hold those two things in tension. You learned it from Epaphras a fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Who didn't tell us that you all really like each other and have bring and share lunches. It doesn't say that. Thank God. We can have a faith tea. Do you remember those days where we had faith teas? No? Did anyone not have a faith tea? What? What? Yeah we, are, yeah, we have faith too. It basically meant, see what's nearly out of date in your cupboard, bring it along, chuck it in the middle. And then, yeah, it was horrible. It was really horrible. And we'd feel like we were all contributing because we bought a nearly out of date box of cherry bakewells. Um, anyway, moving on. Seems like that was only me. I, that's, that's an issue. I might need a sozo for that. Anyway, so <laughs> the point is here, he says, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, ultimately, if there is going to be the kind of love that is going to be transformative, this can't be our, with respect, puny love. This has got to be a love that can only really be generated by God because he is love. It's only the Holy Spirit that can possibly bring this level of love. So Jesus said this um, in John. He said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that love, there, many of you know, is a word called agape, which basically means a selfless, totally giving love. By this, you will all know, people will all know that you're my disciples if you agape one another. And then he says this, a couple of chapters later As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. So it actually says this, as the Father has agape'd me, as the Father has given this absolute selfless love to me, so I have agape'd you. That's the way I've loved you. So now continue in that sort of love. That's the love that's going to cause the transformation. So for anyone wondering if we're going to overrun, the answer is yes. Uh, So we're going to go to this one here. So three main things come out of this. The very first section, Paul basically speaks of family. He introduces himself in the context of family. Next section, he speaks further about their identity, which he mentioned further up. And he speaks about, he commends and encourages them. He's saying, listen, If this is you, I know that you're doing loads right. We'll come on to this bit. But for now, let's stick to this bit. And I'm going to talk to you about this bit. Do you know what? You guys rock. I love how faithful you are. I've heard about you and it makes me just want to pray. I just keep thanking God for you. You're amazing. A bit like Andy Fearan. He's like that. He's like that nearly all the time. Love him who leads Carlisle Vineyard with Rhoda. And he says of God, Andy Fearon says of God, never trust God to pour the cream. I love that. It's one of my favourite quotes of his. I don't think it's actually his, but it, it was him I heard say. So. And Andy lives like God has constantly got the cream pot. And then this is number three. I'll pick up on that, Ethan. Um, then he sets who they are and what's happening for them. Basically, he, he shows them a bigger story. That's what he ultimately does. So he talks about family. He commends them for the bit they're doing right. And he says, you're part of a bigger story of what's going on. Just eight verses. He speaks about family. He commends and encourages and he shows them in a he shows them where they are effectively in a bigger story the most amazing thing about these three things is this letters a correction this letters a correction and that's how he starts he speaks as a, po- a person in a family he commends encourages them says you guys rock you make me pray you make me thank god You're amazing. And then he shows them it's not just you. Know that the stuff that's happening with you is happening everywhere. You're part of something much bigger. So let's stand. We're going to pray, wrap up. Father, I thank you. We get to call you Father. We get to call you Father. You call us sons and daughters. I thank you that you have set this whole thing up as family. We thank you, God, that all Paul was doing here was just picking up on what you're like. So even when you're looking for looking to correct us and give us a bit of a nudge, you you always start with the encouragement, God. Chris, my son, I love you so much. I love the way you do this. I love this about you. God, am I in trouble? No. There's a couple of things I want to talk to you about, but you're not in trouble. And I thank you, God, that we are part of a bigger story. I thank you that even right now in Ashford, there are people calling out your name. In Kent, in the UK, across the globe, there are places where the church is exploding into life. Where people are running forward to throw themselves on the floor and give themselves to you. Thank you that we're part of your bigger story. Thank you, God. All this and only eight verses in. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Yes, have a brilliant week. Um, It's great to see you. We'll hopefully see you next week. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime... Have a great week and know just how loved you are.